We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing college esports. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, so all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Kevin Palmer. Kevin is the Assistant Director of Esports and Intramural Sports at University of Michigan. Prior to that, he was the Director of Esports at Carthage College. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So to start, tell us about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played, and how did you get involved in the esports academic world? Uh, the first game I ever played was uh, Sega Genesis. Uh, everywhere from uh, Sonic Pinball, Sonic the Hedgehog, um, and then Super Nintendo, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. I remember that at an early age. So um, <laughs> got into gaming at a young age. I remember when the PlayStation came out and we went and got Frogger and Crash Bandicoot and started playing those games and uh, played through high school. And then uh, during my time in the military, gaming was a, was a huge thing. So um, first got into the esports space um, at a younger age, really followed MLG and uh, those early circuits, especially the overseas circuit when South Korea exploded. Um, and then after my time in the military, I got into teaching high school and, uh, we were missing kind of a component of hitting those, you know, reaching those students that didn't have something to participate in. And so my superintendent tasked me with uh, building an esports program at the high school level. And that's where I really dove into the academic side. Amazing. So tell us a little about gaming in the military. What were some of the games that you played, you know, favorite ones? Um, gaming in the military was really de-stressing. Uh, I was in the nursing program for the army. And, uh, for those that don't know, it's, uh, an entire nursing degree that normally takes two and a half, three years, uh, compiled into nine months. So, um, there's just a lot of, a lot of NHL, a lot of call of duty, just, uh, something to get our minds off of studying and preparing for the next test. Um, but it was great. It's still a way I can connect to past military friends who are stationed all around the world. So gaming has remained to be a, an access point for those connections. Amazing. So talk a little about the program at Michigan. Um, how did it start and why? Um, so Michigan eSports is a descendant of what was called Arbor eSports. And that started, Arbor eSports actually started about 2011, 2012 in that area. Uh, so it was actually one of the first college programs, but it's a student organization 
They weren't affiliated or recognized by the university besides just being a voluntary student org. And then uh, right before the pandemic, um, students made the efforts to become recognized as a um, sponsored organization. And the Department of Recreational Sports agreed to sponsor Arbor Esports and transform them into Michigan Esports, which gave them access to one calling themselves Michigan and uh, the Block M and all of the um, logos and things that go along with that. So it's been around for a long time. Um, over 3,000 active members, about 250 competing students currently across 11 different game titles and 25 different teams. Amazing. So is there any academic courses that are offered by the school? Uh, not currently. We are building out an esports minor um, with a uh, gift fund that was uh, to the university. So uh, this, it'll be under the School of Information, who our new dean just started for the School of Information. And so she is uh, going to be building out that minor and uh, hiring the faculty for that. Amazing. So what kind of courses do you think would be beneficial in these kind of programs? We see that different schools are starting to develop them. Yeah, I am a, I'm a pretty vocal um, person against uh, esports majors and some of the different programs that are really solely focused on esports um, because, you know, my background, for instance, my undergrad is in law and homeland security. I went to the Army School of Nursing my master's is in education and sports administration and all of those things are encompassed in helping me be a better person at my job. Um, when you, you know, nobody goes to school to major in basketball. Um, and so that's kind of my, my pushback on a lot of the esports majors, but, um, I think it's really complimentary when you have a minor and you have some of those programs that can, you know, say you're a marketing major, and you want to minor in esports. Now you have a skill set that you can go into the marketing field with that gives you that little bit of extra experience or extra exposure that can set you apart. So um, that's a, a big proponent that I'm I push for. Um, but for those programs that do have esports majors, you know I try and, and say like double major or add a minor, get yourself some exposure. I've got a a former student who is a music major and is now back in school for his master's in business and uh, his music major isn't what he did right out of college. He now works for the Minnesota wild and oversees a large scale part of their social media operations, not even an entry level position, but his experience with esports, he was able to put on his resume and that set him as like a digital content creator separated from the rest. And that helped him a lot. Interesting. Yeah. I think they're kind of like the concentration where it's kind of, you have a broader degree that's more applicable to different industries and you have these set of classes, whether it's, you know, four or five or whatever it is, that's really centered on that one industry. Yeah. You, um, especially with kind of the shakiness that is the pro industry of esports, you, you gotta be, have yourself set up and ready for that flexibility. You see people on Twitter almost every day. Hey, I was laid off. I'm looking for work. Here's my experience. Um, those that have those experiences outside of esports feel more comfortable when they get laid off because they know they can probably jump into something. Hundred percent. So, tell us a little about the player recruitment process. Um, how do you decide what players are involved in the team and what games you you know compete in? Yeah. So Michigan is uh, very unique. Uh, I'm not allowed to recruit at all. Um, yeah. We're in a spot where 
Uh, the university is 52,000 students strong, um, about you know 19,000 plus graduate students. And so uh, recruiting is not a focus, but the uh, students that do make the team, uh, so Michigan Esports is a student-run organization. They have title managers over every game title who report to the director of uh, competition. The director of competition reports to the board, and the board reports to our elected president and vice president of that organization. So uh, they really task the title managers to uh, run tryouts and pick captains, and then those captains then run their teams. So it's a pretty lengthy chain of command process, but every semester there's a tryout process that's held, and uh, students are given the opportunity as long as they are full-time and in-person. Okay, so it's really only for Michigan students. So, you, again, you're not – is that something you're looking to develop, more of a competitive trying to sign the best former pros or college play, high school players, or is it just really going to be focused on current students? Uh, it's really just going to be focused on current students. Um, the twist on that, though, is we do have a um, a good amount of players that have been Tier 2, some Tier 1, who have had that exposure, who choose to come to Michigan because of where we stand academically. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're in-state, it's probably a high top on your list of places you want to go anyway. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and if you're in-state, it's – um, a lot cheaper than you know a p private school. If you're from out of state or international, Michigan's pretty expensive, but um, that doesn't deter people. Awesome. So how do you how does the team decide what leagues and tournaments they compete in? I know there's lots of different ones all across the country these days. Yeah, they um they submit to so as the Department of Recreational Sports oversees their kind of operations and their representation of the university. Um, they put in a request for what leagues they'd like to compete in, and then it's my duty to vet those leagues. So um, Michigan doesn't affiliate with anything, uh, any leagues that are sponsored or uh, have, you know, affiliations with things like drugs, alcohol, um, sex, and gambling. So I have to vet those leagues and make sure that there's no um, no affiliations of that sort, and then the league usually gets approved. Um it also needs to be a collegiate competition. We've had some submissions where, you know, it's just a tournament. It's not only it's collegiate. like a local tournament kind of. Yeah, or even like uh, Apex. There was an Apex tournament that was not collegiate focused. It was for anybody to put in a team. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did not deny that one because it's not a collegiate competition. Now, it doesn't stop them from creating their own team and going playing it. They just can't call themselves Michigan Esports when they do that. What about kind of looking at the different games obviously there's some that are more violent than others is that a consideration or not really uh michigan's all about the student voice so okay. when whatever they, they want to play yeah whatever they want to play i mean we we still um will vet and you know just take a look at it uh but if it's if there's interest for it then um chances are it'll be a title uh, like right now um tetris we have a huge Tetris interest on campus, and um, I'm sure that's going to be a sponsored title um, before long. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely was a big Tetris guy, so I, competitive Tetris is probably really intense, so I can only imagine those. So obviously your background in comps is both sports world and the eSports world. What kind of similarities do you see between them and maybe some differences you've noticed? Uh, there's a lot of similarities. Um, a lot of them are resisted by those who are – 
esports enthusiasts or purists that don't want to don't want that kind of cross collaboration. But uh, sports have been around for a long time and have, are true and tested. So um, I love the you know the aspects that players get out of it: the team environment, the accountability, the resiliency, going through adversity. And students, if you look at you know some of the the best coworkers that you have had in your life. And you're like, man, you know, they, they try hard all the time. They're a great team player. And then you look, you find out their background. Chances are they probably play in some kind of organized sport and esports has that opportunity to do those same things. Um, given it has the leadership in place for it. Um, where I'd say is some key differences is, um, just accessibility is is the big thing um it's not like the sport of you know soccer where all you need is a five dollar ball your basketball is twenty dollar yeah you need a 500 plus dollar system and then the gear and all of that and that's just a break into it and then if you want to be competitive then there's tears and tears after that um it's really interesting how you know a college looks at esports and says oh this is a one-time upfront cost for the facility and uh, the PCs and everything. And that's nothing compared to what it costs for traditional sports. Cause it flips because traditional sports, you have the field, the turf, um, the travel, the food, all of those extra things, those costs are through the roof. So it's really interesting, but yeah, the, the money side is definitely different in sport, uh, from traditional sports to esports. So do you see the schools as seeing this as a future development where they're going to look at it? as an, a sport similar to basketball or football, or is it still going to be housed in the, the student activity wing of the university? Um, it'll really be on, I think at the collegiate level, it'll be on the sport conferences to bring mm-hmm. on esports to kind of force the hand of schools to adopt it under athletics. If that's what they choose to do. Um, good example is lacrosse. When lacrosse began in the U S it was really only big in new England and then um, some traditional conferences adopted it, which forced those schools that were member of those conferences to bring on lacrosse. And now lacrosse is a nationwide phenomenon. So uh, we're still in the very early stages, but in due time. Um, and then for those programs that don't adopt it under athletics, that's not a problem at all. Um, right now, I wouldn't want Michigan Esports to be under the Department of Athletics because there's different goals and focuses under athletics. Um, that wouldn't align with what we're trying to do right now where Michigan esports is at. Maybe in the future, if the Big Ten adopts esports, then um, that could be something that is taken into consideration. Definitely. That, that makes a lot of sense. It's all kind of about how the other schools are doing. You don't want to be one of the only schools in your vicinity or area that's doing it. It, it doesn't kind of lend to the competitive spirit that's kind of ingrained in some of these conferences. Yeah, 100%. Um, so prior to working in Michigan, you were the director of esports at Carthage College. So what did you learn from that prior experience that you were able to bring over to Michigan? Uh, I really dove in and wanted to be in, involved in as much as possible. So um, jumped into some leadership positions and advisory positions uh, with my traditional sports background. Um, that kind of boosted me a lot in the presence of knowing what I was talking about in regards to competition and organization and competitive structure. Um, so a lot of those components and then also understanding just 
academia in general and and the college atmosphere granted carthage is a school of 2500 and um so there was definitely the differences there but realistically academia is all the same in in regards to you're growing young adults into professionals and so it was great exposure there um learned a lot about the recruiting process and also kind of the economics to what drives a small liberal arts school versus what drives a public university. Right. And those are kind of two huge factors where you're kind of working at this, you know, 50,000 person, you know, however many thousands versus, you know, under 3000. It is there like a similar approach to the esports on them or is it just trying to just provide something unique for the students? Um, in big institutions, it's all about the student experience and what the students want and their voice. Um, those smaller schools, you know, I would even say 10,000 or less students. Esports is a recruiting factor. Um, in 2026, the amount of seniors that are graduating high school will be begin to decline. And it will decline every year for the, at least the next 18 years because the birth rate has dropped. And so those smaller schools are worrying because there's going to be less students to make a decision on where they want to go to college. So uh, esports for them is a driving factor to get them in the doors and paying tuition. Um, and so, you know, and like my example earlier, Michigan is in a spot where I'm not allowed to recruit. So there's, that's kind of where the difference is, is are they worried about keeping their doors open or are they in a comfortable spot? And that usually is where esports uh, you can just you can figure out where esports comes from. Interesting, yeah, right. It's definitely a new a new world out there with academia and people having different paths, and you know, even kids making tons of money early on. Where it's like, I don't really need this traditional path to go to college, go to you know whatever it is, then get a career and a job, and like that's how I'm going to make money. Like even esports, you're making six figures, seven figures when you're sixteen, seventeen years old. It's like that's a totally different path that, you know, us as, you know, 30 something, 20, like that was not even a path that even existed really. Like maybe you'll be yep. a child star. Like maybe you could be like some phenomenon athlete, but you're not going to make money until you're 18, 19 years old. Really? It's not. So it's like that extra three years is, you know, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Especially with, um, developers like rocket league dropping yeah. the, the entrance to professional down to 13. Um, I could go on, on, on that one, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a different pathway, but you know, collegiate sports plays into that well, because we can take, you know, we don't have the age gap or cap of the NCAA. Um, we can take students in of all ages. And so when your career is ending or has ended, um, or maybe you're just anticipating retiring, you can go the collegiate route and possibly get your education paid for. So that way, um, you have some kind of pathway after, uh, graduation, because that's the one thing I, you know, about esports does on the collegiate or the professional sector. Uh, it is not forever or how it is in traditional sports. That's a huge difference. You know, if you're a, um, a professional athlete and you're smart with your money and you play in the, the NBA for a long time, uh, you should be okay. But esports isn't in a spot where our professional athletes are retiring and, and are sitting okay for the rest of their life. They have to be a content creator or they have to keep working. Heck, I even saw a uh, article today 
that Blake Griffin, who is still a free agent, is working at Costco. Because, just for income? Yeah. Just to supplement spending, and uh, which is a wild thought that an NBA athlete who went first overall, um, that's where his and life is sometimes at. Sometimes you got to learn how to say no, right? Sometimes the athlete, right? And that's kind of the other element of this is the education of these, you know, young professionals, these 14-year-old kids getting signed to Rocket League and getting $80,000 or $100,000 contracts. It's like, well, are you going to go buy the Tesla or are you going to put 50000 of it away in a bank account and let it sit there and forget it exists? Yep. And also, <laughs> is your are your parents or guardians going to take a chunk? Um, are they going to put you into a conservatorship where you actually don't even get to see it? There's been a lot of traditional athletes that have been um, – you know, messed up by that system as well. So I think that's going to, that's kind of like the next element of this is this financial sophistication and literacy and figuring out how to actually navigate this. And whether it's like you said, going from professional to then the collegiate space and getting a degree and then becoming a professional on the other side. And is that kind of the vehicle that we see college is, or just really just a way to keep going? Um, it really depends on who you ask. There's a lot who want to make collegiate the path to pro, but you know, we see that the path to pro is at a, at a time before college, um, colleges not, shouldn't be the path to pro eastwards. It should be the path to being a professional. And, um, that's where I think the next step is and yeah, educating on finances and, you know, being responsible. What is a Roth IRA and, um, how can you, um, you know, read the tax code and understand it to, to benefit yourself um, and, you know, set yourself up for generational wealth. Those are, those are the things that we need to be teaching. Right. And that's kind of where I'm trying to focus, help educate these talent, new creators, making a lot of money. But if you, like you said, if you don't understand how to make that money work for you and be there long-term and have steady growth and you're, you're just spending it on you know, maybe assets that don't, appreciate go down in value immediately like this is not the way to create this you know long-term wealth and then maybe you'll have to be moving some boxes or being a meeting greeter at costco or home depot and you know i know these former giant players that you know they're car salesmen at the local chevy dealership and it was you know a couple of years ago they were catching passes from eli manning so you know it's just yep. a very different world um, so yeah, so congratulations on winning the 2023 NADCAT Collegiate Director of the Year. So it's pretty exciting. So why don't you tell us a little about the organization and what it was like winning? Um, yeah, thanks. I um, I wasn't able to be in Boise for the ceremony, so I was caught pretty off guard. I didn't even know I was nominated. So <laughs> um, it was appreciated. Uh, there was uh, 2022 to 23 was a a lot of. Um, hard work put into um, growing professionals in the industry. And so it was, uh, it was nice to be recognized in that regard. And NACAD's a, a great organization, um, you know, National Association of Esports Coaches and Directors. So they serve um, K through 12 and collegiate and professional sports, um, our professional esports coaches and directors. And their focus is on professional development and networking. So, uh, they look at all kinds of different things and trends and are building curriculum to get uh, people kind of educated in that space and also create some separation. Um, right now, there's 
a lot of people that want to get into esports, especially fresh out of college grads who are like, yeah, I'm ready to be an esports director. I played all four years. Um, and then you're like, hey, uh, they, I've heard them. They go to an interview and they're like, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to get the job as soon as they talked about budgets and financing and what budget codes are and proposing um, budgets and creating budget forecasts. And so NACAD's in a spot uh, where they want to educate um, professionals and aspiring professionals on those things. So that way you do have those skills to go in because, you know, if you're 22 and you've got the skill set to be a director, that's a possibility. But chances are at 22, you've got a lot to learn. And so NACAD is in a, in a spot for that to to help along. Um, and then also the networking. It's a, They have a couple events a year that bring together some of the best in the business. And uh, if you've ever been to an esports event, everyone likes to talk um, about 10 times more than they do in discord. And I think in this you know call alone, I've had like 20 discord pings. So uh, people are pretty well, chatty in the industry. Well, you know, everyone's got a lot of things to say and, you know, they want to make sure their opinion is known. So I know what it's like to keep getting blown up by stuff. So, you know, it's great. So why don't you tell us a little about your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming world? Uh, I love the pace and then the kind of the collaboration with traditional sports there's constantly a, a growing interest in making it better and growing as a whole and so that's a fun part to be a you know or a fun aspect to be a part of um and just that it's so new that this is really kind of the the chance to set the framework um i don't see myself doing it for the rest of my career but you know it's a, a great part or a great thing to be a part of so what do you think the future of college esports is in both the competitive and the academic side? On the competitive side, I um I go back and forth right now with where professional esports is. Um I kind of see a future where collegiate really can become the tier two. Um I know of some different programs that are being you know talked to or are talking with some professional organizations that say, hey, you know. We can't afford to have our paying our tier two players, you know, $70,000 a year and house them and feed them and all of that. But what we could afford is paying their tuition and having them go to this college and then they can get an education. They can play for that college and then they can play for us um, as necessary. So I kind of see that being the future on the academic side. Uh, as more and more programs grow, so like baseball kind of where it's like go to college and we'll call you when we're ready for you. Yeah, yeah, or even like a summer league baseball. You know, there's towns around the the U.S. that have. Um, when I was in Kenosha, Carthage, it was the Kenosha Kingfish, I think, and um, all those players were collegiate baseball players that lived with um, basically like foster families during the summer and then they traveled and play baseball just to get better and so i kind of see that grassroots the hardest hurdle for esports and where a lot of these organizations realize they can never make money is they don't have 35 home games to sell tickets to every year uh, all they have is merch and content and maybe a big tournament but even then the tournament host is taking in the money on those ticket sales so um that's where esports struggles um that's where i also think professional sports franchises franchises and owners 
might step in more. Um, I mean, look with uh, Jerry Jones and complexity gaming complexity is not worried about making money like they used to be. Um, cause they have one of the biggest sport franchises in the world who make plenty of money to keep them in the green. They can operate in the red and they can be okay. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird spot, but academic wise, it's really just going to be off of the interest in the, the growth of the industry. It's a 1.5 plus billion dollar industry esports, And then gaming is a, you know, $180 billion industry. So as long as that continues to grow, then the academic side will feed into it. Um, you know, if you look at sports in the past, uh, you, there's used to be schools around the U S that had turf science degrees because golf and, you know, maintaining all those, uh, grass fields was a huge thing and people paid big bucks for it. And now everything's turf. And so those degrees don't exist. So as long as the professional world demands it, then the academic side will feed it. Awesome. So we, we this is definitely going to be a thing. You know, is it going to be like Michigan, Michigan State going to be a huge tailgate for League of Legends, or is that the future? I um I I I could see that being piggybacked onto another event. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if like maybe the the football game or the basketball game is also happening. Um, they tried to do that in Philly when Philly had the professional Overwatch team. And they were building the arena right in the parking lot where they have um, the Sixers, the Eagles. And so it was just going to be a part of sports and fans were just going to be exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that'll be the model for, for especially the big schools. Um, and, you know, like you, you gave the Big Ten reference uh, when we went down to Ohio State um, and played them in person for the Rivals Cup, that YouTube stream you know, eight and a half hours had a ton of views interaction. So there's definitely interest out there. Awesome. So what's the future for university of Michigan's program? Um, we're really focusing on, um, building our, our presence on campus at Michigan and being more involved and, uh, continuing to bring in more students. I mean, only 3000 out of 52,000 plus students is, uh, not a huge percentage, but it's still a pretty decent sized organization. Uh, but we know that, um, you know, there's probably a ton of more gamers out there that probably just don't even know we exist. So, um, continue that growth and then also playing into, um, some of the, the initiatives like the big esports conference and playing those big 10 opponents. That's where, that's where all of the interest is, you know, um, playing against the big schools, that share that kind of same uh, rivaled past uh, is big for, for us. So um, we're excited to, and hope that continues to grow. Awesome. Well, this all sounds amazing. So try to end each episode with my three questions. So what's your favorite game to watch? Out of esports? Yeah. Okay. Um, I honestly, probably league of legends is probably my favorite to, to watch um, competitively. Otherwise, uh, stream-wise, I'm a big Escape from Tarkov fan. Okay. So what about your favorite game to play? Um, actually, the same. Uh, Overwatch and Escape from Tarkov. Um, unless I really feel like killing time, then RimWorld is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, I can burn a whole day and not even realize it, it happened. Amazing. So what about your favorite video game character? Probably Jack and Daxter. Okay, amazing. So thanks for joining us. This was so great. And tell everybody where they can learn about what you Michigan's working on. 
Yeah, you can uh, just Google Michigan Esports, or you can also um, follow us on Twitter uh, and Instagram and normal all socials and YouTube uh, at UMich Esports. Amazing. So everyone check it out. And if you're a student there or looking to be one, this is definitely going to be a really exciting program. So make sure you check it out. And thanks, everybody, again for tuning in. And follow me on Twitter, Justin J-E-S-Q. Check Apple Podcasts for our past episodes and YouTube. Thanks and have a great one.